This is The Rest is PR with Lyle Fulton and Jackie Vores. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to The Rest is PR. My name, as it will always be, barring incident, is Lyle Fulton, and I'm joined, as I hope I always will be, by the wonderful Jackie Vores. We went with Effervescent last week, Jackie. I, I could describe you as that again. Uh, looking fantastic, as ever, Jackie. How has your week been? And how are you doing this fine Friday afternoon? So we're kind of evolving from Friday morning. Yeah. We're back Friday afternoon. Boiling, boiling yeah. here in, in London. How are you doing? Good, busy, busy week. Because unlike you, my name could change. Too. Well, couldn't it just? You like that segue? That's a beautiful segue. And I tell you what, might be one of my favourite segues ever. Because, <laughs> you know, it's the most important segue we've ever delivered. As a duo, it could. We're not far away now, are we? We're not far away. We don't no, want to date the podcast. Been, has been a lot of wedding preparations, sure. things I never thought that I would ever look at, like confetti, making a decision about confetti. Could you believe how many different types of confetti there are? It's honestly, it's mind boggling. And you know me, I just lose the will to live when I'm just presented <laughs> with, with, if it's a breakfast buffet, I call it bufferalysis. So now I've got confetti analysis I don't know <laughs> uh, but there's a lot of things I don't know about and this is where you should have wedding planners but luckily we've got the wonderful DAF who will probably sway through whatever confetti requirements we have and work his crackling lightning miracles it wouldn't surprise me if DAF has like some sort of qualification in confetti that's just the sort of person <laughs> he is that's the sort of man he is just like you know you'll be out to dinner with him or having coffee with him and he'll be like oh I did actually a masterclass fortnight in like finland on confetti uh, and I'm, I'm actually really really good at this so yeah just leave it with me i've said this before jackie and i'll say it again when i was planning and i say when i was planning if my wife's listening she'll kill me because i didn't plan huge amounts did nothing of i know this yeah she did <laughs> um, but when we were planning the royal we when royal we were planning our wedding the big stuff more or less takes care of itself if you have an idea of what you're doing it takes care of itself it's the small stuff that takes the longest amount of time and it's things you don't even realize that you need to plan for so I have been there, but I know it's going to be an amazing day. And I'm going to provide a bit of a segue, listeners, because I'm fortunate enough to be going to the big day in not too long. As is our guest. As is our guest. I am. Our guest is, and she's jumped straight in. We're very excited to have the wonderful Helen Kensett on the podcast. Finally, at long last, Helen, welcome to The Rest is PR. How are you? I mean, before you answer that, lots of energy this Friday afternoon. I'm going to introduce you first, send you up first, and then we'll ask you how you're doing, how your week's been. So, Helen listeners helen is the co-founder and creative director of the brilliant cogniclick which is a sales activation agency uh, which partners with growth obsessed technology firms to deliver sales campaigns content sales enablement activity but helen listeners as well far more than just being a creative director of cogniclick co-founder of cogniclick something i said before we went live helen has done something which i don't think i will ever succeed in doing helen has only gone and written a blooming book as well throughout her career. <laughs> it's called Sales Mind, 48 Tools to Help You Sell. And that's what we're really excited to talk to Helen about as well. It's this, the world of sales, a world yeah. that I'm terrible at, and I hope she can teach me how to be better at. And I want to see, hear all about Cogniclick and all about Helen's plans for Jackie's wedding as well. Helen, how are yes. you this fine Friday afternoon? How are you doing? How's your week been? 
I'm fine. My week's been pretty boring. Unfortunately, <laughs> 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 one of my key members of staff has been away, so I've had to pick up her work. <laughs> oh, I hate it. I hate it when Daft's away at the moment, and I hate it when he's away because we always end up doing everyone else's work, don't you? Yes. So it was, it's been quite full on. And I still like to do all the things that I want to do as well, like various innovations that we're doing, et cetera. So uh, I've been picking it all up, but it's fine. It's Friday now and she's back and she hasn't stopped all day. <laughs> I love that. I love the idea, right? She's back. Hope you had some nice time away. Great yeah. to see you. Here yeah. you go. Here you go. Here's I loads. passed over about 47 different things. So, <laughs> like, literally. So anyway, so she's picked that up. So it's been one of those weeks, but next week looks better. Brilliant news. And glad to hear. And obviously it is Friday, so we're really excited. And that's why we really like sort of recording these podcasts on a Friday, because we kind of leave the week behind. It's a nice way to kind of decompress, evaluate, not just the week we've had, Helen, but also we want to chat to you about your career. And 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 as we do with all of our guests, sort of tell us a little bit about like how you got to where you are now. I'm because like um, sales, aficionado, expert, guru. How did this happen? Mm. Were you born this way? <laughs> I think I actually was. I think I was. <laughs> not, not, no, I don't mean brilliant. I mean just born to sell. I think. I think it's just in the blood. Unfortunately, I think we've had sort of we've had ruminations about this when we've talked about sales in the past, haven't we? And how sometimes it does actually come from the blood and you know our kind of like uh, our, our genes, our genetic heritage, and you know about entrepreneurialism and and, and you know coming from definitely a line of entrepreneurs I've ended up as an entrepreneur and so has Helen yeah I think there's two key skills in selling effectively and one is essentially seeing your raw materials so seeing what you've got in front of you seeing that you know what what you've got to play with what you can talk about what you can stretch looking at customers understanding them really deeply all that kind of stuff and then creating so then taking that information and turning it into a story turning it into a campaign turning it into a sales program so those are the two skills and if you have an ability to see and then you have the ability to turn it into something which stands apart from what other people are doing then you've got the ability to sell I mean sell is quite a crude way to say it because really it's it's refined creativity that essentially that's what the fundamentals of selling are in a in a kind of nice way to explain it and and that's what I've done really I've had those kind of passions and I happen to fall into B2B, which you do, you fall into B2B. It's a Where strange... did you start? Where did you start? Um, started in publishing, B2B publishing, which is sales, which is quite normal for Heseltine's company at Haymarket, which was fun and a really good training ground and got to sell all the live events. And then realised pretty quickly that I wanted to work for myself at like 25 and started to consult with lots of technology firms lots of the companies that I was working with when I was working at Haymarket and helping them sell essentially effectively generate leads back in the day when cold calling was still a thing and had lots of clients um, as a kind of lead generation consultancy and then yeah then more recent years written the book and founded CogniClick because I wanted to help marketers sell so I wanted to create a platform um, and a solution that enabled b2b marketers to understand how the sales mind works and generate campaigns and programs that actually generated commercial success. So not, you know, not brand or, you know, although those are all really important things, 
our campaigns are very heavily focused around generating, directly generating sales qualified leads. So yeah, so it kind of evolved from uh, doing it day to day to consulting it to then building a product and writing a book. Yeah, so that's kind of in a summary, but it's been very, very B2B focused all along the way. And you kind of get entrenched in B2B really. Once you've done it, you kind of like it. It's the problems that you're solving are always relatively niche and complex um, but the emotion involved and the ability to see and to create like I said is the same from one complex professional service solution to a niche technology they're the same it's so interesting that you know you sort of equated selling a solution to solving a problem this is a conversation that I I had with one of our people Caro the other day when I was saying we were talking about her first introduction to sales I said you know what's your impression of sales what do you think of sales and she was like well I worked at the body shop and they you know they told me they pushed us to go and literally verbally attack customers like what do you want how can I help you and she just saw sales as almost being intrusive mm. or being putting yeah. a product onto people and making them take something. Mm. Whereas my view of sales is completely different, which is I've got something that can help you build your business. Mm. Mm. And I see it as much more of a solution. And when you start talking to people from that standpoint, it's a kind of a bit of a bold click. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's the that's the art of it, isn't it? In that sort of retail environment, it is tricky. That I did actually start. Yeah, I did a lot of that when I was from about fifteen, um, and I used to sell carbon steel Sabatier knives on the on a high street in Surrey. <laughs> so I, I used to sell them pretty well. <laughs> Nicholas Owen was one of the customers, actually. Really? <laughs> oh wow. My goodness. I, I supplied his kitchen with carbon steel. <laughs> but this is really this, this is this is extraordinary because I mean, like, I think I think actually what's been touched on here, which really, really interests me is, again, like I, I think even though I now work, I mean, I'm an actor by trade and I run a theatre company and I also host a podcast and I work in PR, like really when someone like yourself, Helen, comes on a podcast like ours and says, oh, you know, I've, I've found myself in the B2B space and I've done a lot of consultancy work when it comes to sales and I've now set this platform up, that should be something that I'm like, yeah, that's sales to me. That is sales. That that sounds like kind of the rudimentary, like that's the sphere. And yet 30 years old, hold my hands up, 30 years old, that wouldn't to annoy anybody, 30-year-old man. <laughs> and sales to me still, if I really hold my hands up, is a little bit like what Cara still thinks like occasionally and like I kind of want to not dwell on that but just ask you kind of what your take on that is as someone who works in the sales industry because it's clearly so much more than just you know not that this is a bad thing I don't want to in any way disrespect the people who work on the shop floor in retail because they do an amazing job and at times it's a bit of a thankless task but how do you respond to people who kind of like have that umbrella opinion of sales which is just yep here's a product there's somebody who wants to buy it because it's clearly so much more than that you consult on people you help people grow their businesses it's lead generation it's strategizing it's coming up with bespoke campaigns I mean like there's so much more to it than that isn't there yeah I do think that there is going back to your position about how you feel about selling it does suit a certain character I think <laughs> or certainly you want to get yourself into that mindset some of us are more introverted some of us are more extroverted some of us are outward thinking, some of us are inward thinking. And that's not a problem, is it? You know, that makes us better at some things than others. But I'm 
if I walk into a room, I very much put myself into the shoes of the other people and that I always have. So for me, that's just, it just felt like a duck to water to sell. But for some people, potentially more introspective and, you know, not so interested in other people, you know, not that they're not interested in other people, but more interested in perhaps, you know, literature and learning and, you know, then maybe not that I'm not interested in literature and learning, but you know what I mean? It, <laughs> what it's horses for courses. And yeah, if you are in that situation where you're in the body shop or whatever, and you are essentially approaching somebody, it doesn't feel like you are pushing if you are a duck to water in that environment, it actually feels like your your instinct is that you are helping as opposed to pushing a product onto somebody because you do need to get yourself into the mindset that that product does help, essentially. Um, and people want to buy. I mean, people want to buy well. They want to enjoy the process. They want to feel like this person isn't pushing me into it. This person is going to hold my hand on the entire journey this person is someone I can trust, you know, all those sorts of things. So, yeah. yeah. I haven't ever thought about it from that perspective. Absolutely. I haven't thought about the person's who's buying's experience of the sale. Yes. I've never, but you're right. You're so right. It's just like that is another light bulb for me, that when I have enjoyed buying something, Mm -hmm. I probably spent more with that person or organization or company because of that feeling of enjoyment and enjoying the whole process that's so interesting yeah yeah I mean and the person that's selling if they enjoy it then it'll be an enjoyable experience I remember when I first set up the technology I've always had bags of energy but I was really tired because I was doing five different jobs and I started to not enjoy it so much, not because it wasn't something I really loved, but because I was just so tired. And it comes through your eyes. Yeah. So, and it, that was a challenge. That was a challenge. I had to kind of wake it up and be like, right, drop some of these jobs because it's just not not great on you. You can sustain it for a certain period of time, but when you have a startup, you, something's got to give. It, yeah. I mean, it's a wonderfully creative task mm. if you view it that way. And and I do <laughs> essentially, and I, and I suppose it's like anything as well, right? I mean, again, these are just brilliant points, and I'm I'm the same as you, Jackie. I'm just like I'm learning so much about this, um, you know, as as I go along. Because I mean, ultimately, as well, I think you know, in any industry, you're arguably always selling as well, you know, something. I mean, it's, it doesn't necessarily need to be a product. You, you know, you're selling, you know, an idea. You know, you're marketing an idea. You're selling a story. A story. You sell you know, a story exactly. And and I think it's extraordinary. And and Jackie and I have discussed Helen like throughout this podcast series that we've done about how like you know if if passion is behind anything you do and enthusiasm and just a sense of fun is behind anything you do, then you know it's bound to kind of be lifted up that sort of that little bit higher and stand out that little bit more. And I think in the past we've we've spoken about marketing campaigns and and even the visuals associated with marketing campaigns. If there's like a sense of passion behind them, a sense of fun mm. and a sense of creativity. Mm. they're just bound to stand out more when they're being kind of you know sort of bandied around and, and and sold around I mean is that something that maybe then led to you co-founding the CogniClick and, and the business you you work for now is that kind of a passion project for you like this kind of the, sort of the creation of CogniClick itself yes it was a gap as well that I spotted 
So I was, yeah, doing the lead generation and back in the day when you could do cold calling, which was really effective way to do selling 10 years ago. Um, Definitely not now. And so, yeah, I mean, we would, and then content came in. I mean, this, honestly, people weren't doing any content back in the day when I was started, when I was doing a lot of consultancy. Um, So we started to create content for clients and we started to go, right, well, you can't push, 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 push. We've got to create a story, like you say, around what you're selling, what your product is, um, that plugs into what the customer's problems are, kind of standard stuff. So we started to create blogs and stuff for for various clients. And then um, there was a transition just before lockdown where it wasn't enough to create static content, just content that the customer got to and had to read, you know, 3,000 words on a particular topic. You weren't getting any data on whether they were interacting and you certainly weren't motivating them to take any kind of sales action. Uh, So we built formats, content formats, that in themselves inherently moved that person through the sales process, through the funnel. And we've got about 24 different content formats now that all have the kind of psychology of sales built in to them. And we apply a bit of creative thinking for the client and then we create their campaign program into one of our content formats. And they themselves bring that level of energy and that level of creativity and excitement and, and design, like you say, to the process for the client. So it was a, it was a gap. And I realized that, you know, marketing were trying to sell, they help, help create leads for their uh, staff and upsell existing customers for their sales staff and upsell existing customers trying to do it with static content and webinars and all the kind of wonderful stuff which is all really 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 important and still part of it 100 percent um but we're struggling to actually get that lead that sale to actually hold their hand up and say i want it i'm actually going to part with some budget um or very nearly going to and sales just need to do a couple of things and then i will and that's the gap and we thought well we could probably fill that so that was when it happened. And then over lockdown, we sold really, really well self-serve. We've got a self-serve product. Um, and then actually, because everybody then got a bit bombarded by technology, um, we're much more supportive of clients now. And actually, most clients want us to do most of it for them, which is fine. It was a bit of a, I didn't realise that was going to be the case. And it was a bit of a startup moment of pivot because um, mm. it really wasn't what I was expecting. And it threw me off a little bit, but you learn every day. And now I absolutely love that. So it was a gap. We built the platform, built the product. Now I've got the kind of perfect business model around it in terms of they get access to our creative thinking and we are where we are. Which is going back to where you actually started, which was that very creative approach to sales in your book. How do you help people sort of tap into their creativity? In the book? um, Yeah. mind. Yeah, so the book was actually published in 2016, but it's still really relevant now. And it it essentially divides sales into three areas, which I mentioned a minute ago, two of them. To see, the three areas that the book divides sales into are to see, to think, and to create. So essentially, um, and within that, we've got 48 different sort of playful tools um, that enable you to break open your customer uh, one of them is called the active buyer impression and it enables you to answer some questions about the customer to get a real 360 view of them. Um, and then we've got tools in there that enable you to creatively think. The story star, for example, is one which enables you to create a story against five fundamental pillars of telling a good story, uh, but really effective in selling and then to create their other tools and so on. So 
I've just broken it down and then we've created these different these different tools and it's really it's been really popular it's sold really well it's a best-selling book isn't it it's one of the best sales book about sales is bestsellers so and it is you're right it is very relevant and it's very readable as well I you know I think the way you've presented it and it's illustrated beautifully and it's a it's a very readable book um, and you and I know that you get a lot of people contacting you on LinkedIn and saying they've read your book and which is fantastic. I did. I did. It's it's sold internationally. So I get loads of people in India <laughs> really sold well. It really sold well. It sold um, and it sells quite well as an ebook as well. But it yeah, it sold particularly well in sort of U, the UK sales at the beginning. So sort of 2017, 2018. And then now it sells internationally in Brazil and India are the two biggest markets. So it's been translated. Let this settle for a second. Let's just let this settle for a minute. <laughs> Internationally best-selling author, Helen Kensett, on the recipe, <laughs> by the way. Right, okay. Just, and also, I'm going to buy this. Like, it sounds to me like I'm 100% buying this. It's it's a shame on me for not owning it already. Because also, like, I mean, what's beautiful by the sounds of it is that how you've broken it up and divided it, which I think yeah. kind of comes to the crux of what we've been speaking about already, is that it's so applicable to so many different areas of business you know it's not just and and that by the sounds of things is is what you've done so brilliantly and beautifully in in writing the book is you obviously have a lot of b2b experience but it's it's tools that can apply to any area of sales any area of like sort of developing creating a story like sort of almost just accessing that creative center in your mind really it sounds like it's kind of got all the tools in place there for someone who's maybe struggling to kind of access yeah. that creative gene to like kind of find it really is, is am I right in saying that because if so I'm buying it I'm buying it right yeah. now I mean it's definitely not just relevant to B2B I mean I haven't I haven't spoken about the book for a, for a, a while actually because I've been busy pushing CogniClick and discussing CogniClick but it's definitely not just B2B I mean that is my background but it's definitely much more much broader to selling anything to anything yeah. at all I'm just flicking open it now actually one of the tools is called what you're not and essentially what it wants you to do is just describe what your product isn't or what you're what you're selling, what it actually isn't. And by saying what it isn't sometimes makes it really much stronger for people to understand what it is. So, you know, if you're selling a technology and you want to make it clear that you're, for example, on the phone this morning to a potential customer, I said very clearly at the beginning of the call, what we're not is a self-service technology. So you ha- you don't worry. You don't have to worry about learning. You don't have to learning a new technology and, you know, all of the crazy things that come with that. We're not going to leave you in the lurch. We, and we are going to do this. So just by having that in your arsenal, essentially, to use, what are you not makes it really clear to somebody that's buying from you what you are and why that's relevant. Does that make sense? Yeah, it really does. Yeah. And it helps build a a picture for, you know, the people that are buying from you. I always um, tell my team to sell, not tell, because I think that that's really, really important. If you just don't explain how important something is or do anything with excitement or passion, it just sort of falls a bit flat. And I try to, to, to... you know, for example, rather than saying, oh, we, um, the, a piece of uh, news about your company appeared in the Daily Mail today. Yeah, that's the fact. But 
Can you believe that you got featured in the Daily Mail today? That's amazing. That's a brilliant thing for your company. I so think that's brilliant. Completely different delivery. I think that's absolutely great. Actually, I think that's a brilliant. I think that's brilliant for customer services people, and 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 you know, upset. That's a brilliant thing to say because that's right. It's you know, most people default is to put something either relatively flat in their description of it or negative yeah whereas actually that you know and that's how most people communicate <laughs> whereas when you when you are you know when you when you're essentially designed to entice somebody and and you know get somebody to want to do something motivate somebody then you need to put that positive spin on it and there's a positive spin on everything and it's not you're not making it up you're just no. bringing a bit of life and energy i think that's brilliant Jax. i think that's absolutely brilliant and I think I think that applies to any kind of organization. Certainly I find that I when I go into my favorite shopping environments, the people there are excited about what they're selling. You know, they they genuinely think that their product is is the best. And so, for example, you know I like the white company. We've, I love going in the white company and I literally dress in the white company. And the people who are employed by the white company have all been trained usually impeccably well I think their training is second to none from their staff perspective but they always spot that you're wearing something that they sold yeah oh you're wearing those those were great last year weren't they and you can really you really feel like you you are continually being sold too Hmm. as you just pointed out they're just continuing that engagement that sales process with you that keeps you buying it keeps you hooked in so certainly with you know when when people are working with us I want them to be reinforced that they've made a great decision to work with us I want them to to feel that we're the perfect partners for them not in a you know I hate to use it salesy way but in a genuine way and because again if you're coming back to being real solution givers that's not a salesy thing but it's interesting coming back to what what Lyle said about that perception of sales, perception of a sales role or being a salesperson. It's still identified with the photocopier salesperson with the cheap suit and the cheap briefcase. Or do you know what I mean? Or some of the, the, the always be closing ABC and all of those things that were very sort of eighties, nineties America. Yes, madman. You know, yeah, Mad, Mad Men, Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street, wowzer, yes. You know, um, and even like, you know, again, I mean, this is maybe kind of a bit of an oxymoron, but one of my favourite plays ever, Death of a Salesman, Willie Loman, you know, that that's the kind of the photocopy of Salesman, isn't he? You know, sort of the suit. Yeah. I also want it on record, by the way, uh, I think I've maybe been in three, at most four, white company shops. Um, congratulations guys they all smell amazing in there (laughs) every time I go in I don't know I just couldn't I I felt compelled to say that it's like one of the best this is probably one of the weirdest sentences I'll ever say on this podcast but it's weird (laughs) Friday afternoon energy it's one of the best smelling shops I've ever been in my life so congratulations I don't know what tool that falls under in terms of sales but I'm here for it whatever it is just keep going a couple of things we want to chat about as well Helen as well and I think I sent this across to you uh, earlier on today is you're going to it's very exciting as well Ignite conference later this month which I think is a b2b marketing conference and I think you're doing a few bits and pieces there in your capacity as uh, working for CogniClick can you tell us a little bit about what you're up to at Ignite conference later this month yes so Ignite is owned by b2b marketing 
it's their big annual conference. It's going to be huge. I think everyone's a bit tired of being on their own at home working you, in B2B. It's big. You know, everybody's working from home and certainly in marketing because you can. So they're all everyone gets out and comes into town and gets together. So it's going to be absolutely massive. Um, and we're doing a workshop on the pipeline and accelerating the pipeline. Um, so looking at all of these marketing teams that have got loads of leads stuck in the pipeline and how to or they generate volume of inquiries, but actually they just don't move anywhere. And we're looking at how to essentially move that forward. There's been quite a big change in the market. I mean, the whole of the marketing industry is going through a change. There's a couple of main ones. The buyer is changing. So historically in B2B sales, you just had to prove that your product was better. Your product is tangibly better than what else is on the market. And that would innate, that would be like, yeah, seven out of 10 bars would say, yeah, you know what, I'll buy it. You can prove to me. That's dropping. And actually now, even if you can prove that your product is better and you can prove the value, people still, there's still what is being called buying indecision. That's always been around, but now it's much more prevalent. Why do you um, think that is? Why do you think? Well, there are, yeah, there are three kind of key reasons. And it's really hard to spot as well, because when people say, I just don't want your product because it's just not better than what I've got. That's pretty, you know, objection. You know, that's pretty obvious. Yeah. Right, take a note of that one. I'm off the hook. <laughs> <laughs> like, but this is really, really hard to spot. So it's this is coming from sales people. This is sales feedback, really, who who are much more closer to the client than marketing are. So marketing always tend to be a bit slower in catching up with this kind of feedback. But fear that it's not the right option. So it's mainly fear. So fear, is it really the right option? You know, really? I'm, you know, the status quo, I'm not sure if it really is because changing is really hard. Um, have I really had the right information? There's so much information. Have I read the right information? And is it really going to deliver on results? Because I don't necessarily know whether I believe it. And this has always been the case. So, you know, even though I can see that it's better, but yeah. I'm indecisive because I'm not really sure because have I really got the right information? Do I, Yeah. So all those those things. And we'll talk about ways essentially to tackle those um, through content, through content and content is, you know, not, and again, it's not just, so not just simply reiterating the value of your product because it just simply isn't enough. Um, Jeff is. Still really important. I'm not saying we shouldn't sell like that, of course, or position or brand ourselves like that. But when it comes to actually generating traction in the, pipeline then you need to think about removing those indecision markers and you can do that by using content so we're going to be discussing that with Autodesk who's one of our big technology clients and they're coming along to talk about it too um, oh. but the other big change in the market is AI um, particularly uh, chat GPT obviously there are other loads of other versions but that's the one um, that I've been playing with quite a lot and it's changing things because it's good, <laughs> basically. Yeah. I was quite sceptical at first. And yes, you know, I found that there are kind of three key ways that as a marketeer and a salesperson that you can use it. Well, research to improve stuff that you've already written. And thirdly, to create stuff from scratch. And that's a bit more complicated, but it's not not possible. 
Mm. And so what we're seeing is that if you use it properly, and you, you know, like when I say research, I don't mean type in, tell me about Autodesk or whatever, because you could do that on a search engine. I mean, ask it proper questions like, tell me about Autodesk compared to its nearest competitor. Tell me about Autodesk and you know what what was its worst financial year and tell me about autodesk and what you think its future looks like and given all this information what do you think autodesk's response would be to this you know ask it sensible questions and then you can do some incredible research improve if you've already written an email or a piece of copy giving it to it don't necessarily let it start it but Type that into ChatGP and say, improve this for me in a specific way. Make it chattier, less salesy, more direct, shorter, sharper, incorporate some information about its competitor, you know, what, loads of stuff. If, brief it properly and then it'll improve what you're doing. And so that's coming in. So you're essentially going to be in an environment in sales and marketing where there's some very good messaging out there. And to compete against that, is tricky. I mean, I got I've had some sales emails just this week where I've had to go back to the salespeople and say, "Did you write this, or did ChatGPT write it?" It's better than I could do. Like, oh, that must be an extraordinary question to have to answer as well. Can you imagine that? Coming I back, think I, I said, love, "Oh, I, I don't." I love, I love, I love that you're, I love that you're asking the question. But it's, it's, can you imagine someone sitting around and going, "No, no, that was that was me." all me all me but you're right it's so good. I mean, I've started using yeah. it not not for writing I've done, but just like recreationally just to see because I mean Jackie and I've spoken a lot about AI on the podcast yeah. I've written a lot about AI for for Demozo and for other clients like obviously Ludo one of our great clients at Demozo are an AI platform so yeah you know, yeah to keep you know up to date on all of like the latest AI advancements and I was just like eventually I'm just gonna have to try this out like just recreationally and then there's all this stuff over Twitter about like football fans are getting it to write football chants for them and it's just like an extraordinary oh wow Wow, it's an incredible piece of tech. Everything, yeah, it's mental, and it's and it's and it's it really you can't not be impressed by it. You know, I mean, it really is. It's that a really football chant one is amazing because what you could do is you could feed in all the scores from the last <laughs> ten years. Yeah, you could feed in all of the like nonsense about yeah. you know you could feed in like loads yeah. of content around that club and then say based on this information. So right, that's what you have to feed it properly. That's it, and direct it. That's a lovely one. That's a lovely one. The football yeah. chant. Yeah, I think they actually, they, 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 someone on Twitter got it to write a new chant for the lovely Alexis McAllister, formerly of Jackie's beloved Brighton and Hove Albion Football Club, uh, now a Liverpool, uh, Liverpool player. And uh, it was about him having moved to Liverpool from Brighton. And they they briefed it accordingly. So like, yeah, he used to play for Brighton. He won the World Cup with Argentina. Now he plays for Liverpool. Oh, wow. Write me a chant to the tune of this song. And it was able to use the, it was, it was extraordinary and people are using it in that way. But what I think is really great as well, and I'm sure this is something you'll touch on when, when you go to Ignite later in the month as well, Helen, is like, it still requires, you're so right. It still just about requires that sort of perfect amount of human cognitive thinking. It still yeah, requires that human touch, that nuanced human interaction with it for it to be super effective you know if you just give it one thing to do and go off you go it will be very it, it will be very ai and be very yeah effective. yeah yeah exactly brief it properly and still do sort of most not most of the work but, be, but you kind of work 50 50 with it it really is an incredible piece of kit. yeah but it's like a human conversation i mean yeah. or a briefing an agency if you briefed mm -hmm. an agency and just said 
you know, tell me about this. They're going to they're not going to give you anything good. Mm. Whereas if you brief an agency with reams and reams of information, then they're going to come back with something excellent. It's exactly like that. It's exactly if you're having a conversation with someone and you're very monosyllabic, then how can they possibly give you good, good insight? Well, it's like that with 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 ChatGPT. If you tell it a lot of information, then it's going to give you a really sound answer. Yeah. So it's just like that. It's well to me because I've been playing with it a lot. It seems to be just like that. <laughs> I have a burning sales question for you, Helen. Yes. Especially now when we're in, you know, tough times. Times are tough. You know, economies worldwide are under pressure. How do you feel about selling on price? <laughs> um, I think it really depends on what you're selling. People still get a great deal of confidence by spending a lot. People get a great deal of confidence by spending a lot of money. And there's a lot of psychology wrapped around the fact that you're spending a lot of money on some consultancy and that that's worth a lot of money. You know, the big taking in your world, the big PR agencies like the Freuds and so on. People love spending a million pound a year, don't they, on yeah. <laughs> having them. So there's still a lot of confidence which comes with charging the right price. But there's also a lot of play stuff that you can do about giving a good price to do a pilot and, you know, getting people on board on a lower price where the barrier to entry is lower. So it's a tricky one. And that also then leads back to brand. And that's when brand is really important. So in sales, we, you know, take all of those other areas of marketing very seriously, too, because we can't charge a lot if the brand is unknown, not out there etc so there's all it's very complicated but people still like spending a lot because it gives them yeah but they won't spend a lot on an unknown brand with no social presence that they've never heard of and they don't get that same level of you know then you've got to start thinking okay well then what could I make a very easy barrier to entry do they trust me not on my brand and my reputation but on the first project that I do yeah it's it's tricky one I certainly believe, or maybe it's because I had it drummed into me. Yeah. Even though price is a consideration, it isn't the most important buying factor. No, it really isn't. In fact, leave. yeah, it really isn't. Leave it out. Till, yeah, definitely leave it out. I mean, there's only things, you know, sometimes it does hurt you in the long run if you undercharge, though, because you end up over-servicing it's, and it, it hurts it you. Yeah. Brand, it devalues the service. It yeah. People who are involved in, if you're selling a service, values the product. You know, a lot of very good, for example, cars have a kind of value set attributed to them because they were that much cheaper with, you know, like, for example, you know, Skoda or Toyota, they were sort of seen in the sort of cheaper end of the market and yet they're incredibly great value. But unfortunately, the, the sort of brand perception has never been as good as a Volvo or a Mercedes or, you know what I mean? So it is an interesting one. I think you're going to see a lot of people go down the price route at the moment in terms of competitively selling because of all the considerations that we're going through it from an economical standpoint. But yeah, um, it's true. But you then you've got to come up with a pilot price, which they can afford, and then yeah. push them to the higher price when they can trust you. Because it's all about trust and fear when we're buying. So try and do it that way. As the salesperson on that team, let's say it was a technology and it was going to be 150 grand a year license. 
and they're like, I'm never going to get to sign off it, you know, da, 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 da. Then you start to think, okay, how can I remove that barrier for some sort of pilot? Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, so then you can keep that price high and make it really crystal clear that this is a pilot and it's to prove value. And then the organization gets hooked in that in a technology world, that tends to be what is going on. And it, it plugs into that indecision because if they're struggling yeah. to make a decision and then you make you take away the risk to some degree because you're that's true. The, risk, yeah. the fear goes then that's yeah. interesting because that is what you were saying at the moment is that this indecision is creeping into all of the the purchasing now that um i can see how you could gain somebody's trust by the sort of essential try before you buy kind of exactly around yeah. and then try and think of what the outcome could be so ring fence a project where there's an outcome and what would you say to people who are starting out their careers and and considering going into a sales role and learning about sales um what sort of person do you need to be to i think flourish in that don't think about it as an isolated role that's what i think i think it because you've got so much power as a salesperson if you do it right. And you've got so much potential to broaden into almost any role within an organization. And so think about it as the first skill that you might end up taking all the way, or you might end up having as an underbelly for a much wider career. It is such an important part of business in B2B selling that, yeah, don't think about it as like an isolated and when you are working in it, work with all of the other divisions because you're so you should be so close to the financial team, the marketing team, the account team. account sales team, product team, because all of that really matters. And you you are, you hold more information than anyone else in the entire business. You really do because of those conversations that you have with the customer, which just nobody else does. So it's a role that spans an entire organization rather than an isolated role. That's what I think. That's I mean, that's how I've always approached it. So then that's what I would ideally want in somebody that wanted to do a sales job. I'm sold. I've had that one lined up like all episode, by the way. I've had that pun lined <laughs> up like that. I'm sold. So I'll see you Monday, Helen. I'll see you Monday. I'm sorry. sorry. Uh, no, 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 no. This has been absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, the only reason we're bringing this to a close is I've got a book to buy. Uh, I've got to go and buy a book now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got, I've got to get off the uh, the pod to go and to go and buy this book because I'm, I'm just absolutely, I'm so intrigued by this now. Helen, thank you so, so much. And we wish you the best of luck as well uh, with Ignite later this month. I'm sure it's going to be absolutely fantastic, the workshops you're running there. And obviously, like, wish you all the best with Codney Click as well. It's going from strength to strength. And we'll link um, uh, Codney Click on the episode description as well. I've actually, honestly... I went into this episode thinking, oh, I think I, you know, I've, I've, I've done a bit of sales work before over the phones, you know, before I went and sort of did my first acting gig. I know so much more about it now. I, I really do mean that. It's been extraordinary. And thank you so, so much. And we'd love to have you back on as well in the future to sort of, you know, sort of hear about how Ignite went and hear how, because I think it's going to change as well. I think the landscape is going to keep changing as AI comes in. as more mm, yeah. I mean, I think the landscape of sales and that in that area of, of business is going to change sort of in the next sort of, you know, months and years. And we'd love to have you back on to kind of have your take on on those changes. AI and what's going AI. on. That's it. If you'll have us, if you'll be back, we'd love to have you back on. I'd love to. Brilliant. That was great, guys. That you're really lovely. Oh, bless you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. And, and hey, you know, I'll see you in a couple of months. I'm still toying with the idea. And I'm happy for this to go in the episode. I'm still toying with the idea of like a fly in the wall 
live podcast recording from the day itself. You know, if the technology's there available to me, I'll be there in people's... No, I won't do it. I won't embarrass Can we do a podcast on my wedding day? Are you? It seems so appropriate. It seems so great. It almost seems too good to be true. We should. I wouldn't dream. No, you need to be totally... (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't dream of making you do that. Certainly not on sales. Not on sales, (laughs) exactly, yeah. Not on sales. On your wedding day. I'll tell you what, Jackie, I'll bring I'll bring this here for those viewing on YouTube. I'll bring this. I'm pointing to my uh, podcast microphone. I'll bring this. I'll bring my guitar. We'll have access to the whole range of, of creative output for the big day. Um, but listeners, thank you so much for joining us once again. Well, one thing's for sure. Go don't buy confetti off Carol Middleton. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to mention that earlier. Oh, my goodness. Just drop that bombshell in right at, right at the close. I love that. Super work. Unbelievable effort. Um, There you go. If there's one takeaway, listeners, it's that there. It's that sort of pure diamond. Um, Thank you so much for joining us, uh, listeners. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you with us once again. A few T's and C's before we let you go, listeners. If you want to get in touch with us, you can do info at therestispr.com or info at demozo.com. And you can also head to those two websites uh, to check out what the podcast has been up to and some of the episode links are all there. In fact, all of them are there. And uh, demozo.com, obviously, to see all the exciting things that Demozo have been up to. We'll obviously link the fantastic CogniClick website on our episode description so you can go and check out what Helen and the brilliant team over at CogniClick have been doing. And if you want to get in touch with us via LinkedIn, you can do so. Uh, Jackie or myself will pick up messages on LinkedIn. You can also follow us on Twitter at the rest is PR, capital T, capital R, capital I, capital PR. But for the time being, listeners, thank you so much for joining us on the latest episode of The Rest is PR from Helen. <laughs>